Philippians 4, we're going to start in verse 10. I want to read 13 verses, just give us the big context of it. And then we're going to dig in and unpack a few things together. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share my troubles, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, he's like, when you got to know the reality of what Jesus actually did, actually taught, how he actually lived, how he actually died, how he actually rose from the dead, how he'll come back, he goes, when you got acquainted with the gospel, the good news, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except for you only. For even when I was in the city of Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. I don't write this because I desire your gifts. What I desire more is that it would be accredited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you've sent, they're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. So greet all of God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All of God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. And God's people said, amen. And so Paul, he writes this epic letter. from prison to this church in the city of Philippi that he had started, and this is the way he brings it to a close. You know, several weeks ago, I was sitting down with a friend and mentor, really a father in the faith, a guy that's poured into me for as long as I can remember. He was one of those guys that could see a man of God in me before I could see a man of God in me. We all need those kinds of friends that can see our possibility more than they see our reality. And he's been one of those guys that's just, he's called things out of me. He's called me up. He's poured into me. He's prayed over me for years. And so I was going to hang out with him and he does what he's always done, which is he asks great questions and he prays and he probes and he makes me a little bit uncomfortable, but he's, he's constantly just trying to get the man of God that he sees that I can't see, just how to, how to pull that man of God out. But I, I went to this meeting with, with my friend and mentor, not because I was wanting a blessing. I knew he had been in a season of deep adversity, going through all sorts of hard stuff. And I thought, man, I would love the opportunity just to, to listen, to, to ask some good questions, to maybe pour into him, <laughs> encourage him. And so I'm sitting with him and He's just been in a season where everything in his life, his, his marriage has been challenging, kids have been challenging, health has been challenging, finances, just every sphere of his life has been more difficult than he wished it would be. And so I'm sitting with my buddy, this mentor, and I asked him a simple question. I said, hey, in this season of life, what do you sense Jesus is trying to teach you right now? Like, what do you sense Jesus is trying to teach you right now in the classroom of life? What's he trying to impart? And he saw, sat there real patiently, real thoughtfully. And he made this statement that sat with me ever since I was with him on his porch. He said, I think in this season, Jesus is trying to teach me 
how to cultivate a life of joy when my circumstances aren't what I want them to be. Because I think that's what Jesus is trying to teach me. How do you cultivate a life of joy when your circumstances aren't what you want, want them to be? How do you cultivate a life of joy when marriage isn't working the way that you want your marriage to work? How do you cultivate a life of joy when finances are hard to come by? How do you cultivate a life of joy when your health is depleted or the health of someone you love is depleted? How do you cultivate a life of joy when none of the circumstances seem to work? And so he made this statement, and I don't know if you've ever had this happen before, or somebody says something and it's like, man, that's inspiring. I wanna write it down, I wanna, I wanna hold on to it. But it's only after you get away from the moment that the statement begins to grow some life and some fruit. And so I, I left his house and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about this statement. I'm cultivating a life of joy when my circumstances aren't going the way that I want them to go. And I started thinking about that. I went, man, that's inspirational, but how in the world do you do that? Like, how do you cultivate joy when none of the circumstances are lending themselves towards a joy? Like, how do you actually do that? And I was just, I was just wrestling with that, going, wait, how's he doing that? I wish I would have thought to ask him that question. And uh, as I think about that, I go, that's really the book of Philippians as it unravels. Over and over and over, you know, we've been in this letter for 12 weeks. Short little letter, it would have fit on two pages, you know, of handwritten. Paul's just writing this letter to this church. And the context for this letter that had come, his, that had come their way was they had sent him a love offering to meet his needs in prison. Remember, Paul was in prison in Rome. During those days, if you were in prison, taxpayer dollars didn't, care, didn't provide your food, didn't give you cable TV, didn't give you a bed to sleep in. You had a prison cell, and if you were in prison, you were dependent on your loved ones outside of the prison to send you food, to send you resources to care for you. So Paul's not running a televangelism ministry here going, send an offering and I'll give you a blessing. Like He's going, no, I'm in prison, and if you didn't bring me food, I wasn't gonna eat. And he goes, and you sent Epaphroditus. Now we just read through that passage we just went, read, and it's like, oh, cool, Epaphroditus went. Do you guys know how far that journey was? Any of you? 800 miles in one direction. Not in a car, not on a plane, by foot. That's six weeks in one direction. Who do you love enough to walk six, feet, six weeks in one direction to give them a meal? Don't you know Paul was just feeling their love? He's like, oh my goodness. You guys love me. You thought of me, you're taking care of me. You sent Epaphroditus. He, he's brought this offering, he's, he's met my needs here in this prison. And he goes, and I'm sending him back with this thank you letter. But he goes, in the midst of this thank you letter, he goes, I just wanna tell you about some of the stuff God is working out in my life. And this is the book of Philippians. He's just, here's what God's been working out in chapter one. He's going, hey, he's reminding me of the beauty of what the church is and what it means to abound in love, and how Jesus shows up in the mystery of suffering, and how we stand strong in opposition. And then in chapter two, he busts out in this song, here's who Jesus is, and how can we walk in humility towards others the way that Jesus walks? And how do we work out the salvation that Jesus has worked into our lives? And then chapter, all of chapter three and the end of chapter two, he's like, and Jesus is trying to transform us from the inside out, that's what we've been talking about the last three or four weeks. And then chapter four, he goes, and he's got this unshakable peace that he wants to give you. 
But he ends the letter by addressing the elephant in the room. It's the question that's been burning in me ever since I hung out with my friend a few weeks ago. Paul, for 21 times in this short little letter, tells the church in Philippians or in Philippi that he's filled with joy. Why don't you just think about how absurd that is? Imagine writing a letter to your girlfriend, two pages long, and 21 times you tell her, I'm exploding with joy. She's like, either you have a bad memory or you're a psychopath or you have something that I want. Paul from prison, more than 20 times he's going, I've got joy, I've got joy, I've got joy. And up until this point, he's only described it, but he hasn't told us how to step into it. And he gets to the end of the letter as he's giving his last thank you for the gift that he sent. And it's almost like he remembers by the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes, oh yeah. He goes, I wanna let you in on the thing that you were made for, the secret that you want. And that is a resilient, unshakable joy that will last with you no matter what's happening in the circumstances that you're going through. Paul's going, I I wanna show you what it is that Jesus has been teaching me. And I think we have something to learn from a man that's been sitting in unthinkable circumstances who's going, but I'm filled with joy. I think this is the thing that every one of us as human beings want. I think you wake up in the morning without even knowing you do this. We wake up in the morning looking for things that will make us joyful. Like you look for water and food and relationship and sex and all of the things that you just kind of naturally chase after in life. You wake up with this thing in you that gravity, it's like gravity pulling you towards it where you go, I'm looking for joy. But have you ever noticed how elusive it can feel? how temporary it can feel, how fickle it can be. And and Paul is gonna say, hey, I found this secret and I don't want to get through this letter without letting you in on this thing that I found. And so he takes one last moment to say, I don't wanna just describe it, I wanna invite you in to this thing. And we're gonna use a couple of words interchangeably because Paul is gonna use them interchangeably and I'll hopefully help us understand that as we get towards the end. Uh, This idea of both joy and contentment, he's gonna use those sort of interchangeably. Look back at verse 10 with me. The way he opens up this section, he says, says, my circumstances are bad. I'm here in prison. He goes, but I I wanna let you know the state of my heart. He goes, I'm rejoicing greatly in the Lord. He goes, I'm filled with great joy. And so there he is again. He goes, goes, something's happening inside of me that doesn't make sense sense in light of what's happening around me. Have you ever been around somebody like that, that what's happening inside of them doesn't line up with what's happening around them? And he goes, hey, I'm I'm rejoicing greatly. Something's happening, verse 11. And he goes, and I'm not just saying this because you've met my need. Listen to this, verse 11. He goes, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He goes, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I just wanna give us a working definition of contentment. To be content is this state of being, this state of being that is marked by peaceful joy, happiness, total satisfaction. So Paul goes, I'm joyful, I'm, I'm content, I'm, I'm marked by this reality that despite my unwanted circumstances, I am peacefully happy, joyful, unbelievably satisfied, even in a moment like this. And you can almost imagine them hearing that in the city of Philippi going, really? <laughs> like, how, how's that work? 
And Paul goes, this is, this is what I've stepped into. He goes, this is what I've experienced. In fact, later on in verse 11, he goes, he goes I found this secret of being content. I've been initiated into, it's almost like if you were in a fraternity or a sorority and you go through pledging and then they take you through some weird process at the end where they light candles and put a bag over your head and they're like, you were not in the club, now you're in the club. Paul says, here's what's happened. He goes, Jesus has shown up in my life and he has initiated me in. He's brought me into this secret reality of permeating, resilient, durable, all-encompassing joy that my circumstances have not had the ability to rob me of. And he goes, I don't wanna just describe it for you. He goes, I want you to have it. Man, it's amazing how elusive contentment can be. We know that when life is hard, right? Like when life is hard and you're like, I just want more than what I have right now. I want breakthrough. I, like, I want it. But have you noticed it's also tough to be content when life is good? Because there's just this nagging reality that we all have to wrestle with is how much, how much is enough? It's like, I love vacation, but how much vacation is enough vacation? How much money is enough money? How much rest is enough rest? How much pleasure is enough pleasure? And so Paul is gonna say, hey, there's this thing in you, whether you're in a good season or a bad season, you've probably experienced how elusive joy, contentment, these things can be. But Paul goes, I've stepped into this secret reality that's pretty unshakable and I want you to have it. Whether the marriage is good, your health is good, the finances are good, your children are good or not, he goes, I want you to have what cannot be taken. And so you go, hey, so how in the world do we begin to get there? See, the world offers a path, but Paul's gonna go, that path is a dead-end journey. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is fundamentally gonna set you in a different trajectory and it'll give you something the world can't take away. And if you're the type of person that likes to take notes, I'll just put it in three buckets for us this morning. How do we cultivate resilient joy when the circumstances of life are everything you want them to be and when they're not what you want them to be either way. How do you cultivate joy? And the first thing he's gonna say is this, is you have to persistently, consistently pursue gospel truth. Because you're gonna have to consistently, persistently, radically, you're gonna have to, to go after gospel truth. He's going to make a pretty big claim here. He's going to say worldly joy, worldly contentment, worldly happiness, that's available if you get enough money, enough time, enough freedom. It's like you can buy that temporal happiness in a lot of different ways. He goes, but this thing that I'm talking about, heavenly joy, a resilient joy, a con and contentment that can't be shaken, he goes, that's not possible apart from gospel truth. Remember verse 15, he said, all of this came into your life as you got acquainted with the reality of the good news of what Jesus has done. And so verse 11, look at this, I love this. He goes, how do I get this resilient joy? How do I cultivate it in my life? Verse 11, he goes, I have what? I have learned to be content. <laughs> he goes, I've learned this. In other words, he goes, this is not a natural byproduct of your humanity. Have you noticed that contentment is not a natural byproduct of your humanity? Like, you don't come out of the womb and just go, I don't need a thing in the world. Perfectly content. 
It's not your natural disposition. It's not your natural disposition in your marriage to look at your spouse and to go, I don't need anything from you, perfectly content, totally satisfied, filled with joy, unshakable. It's not your natural disposition to check your online bank account and go, I've got too much. It's exhausting how rich I am. <laughs> I, would love the, I would love the opportunity to feel that, but I haven't felt that yet. Like, it's not your natural disposition. Contentment is not a natural reality. It is a supernatural reality, but just because it's supernatural doesn't mean you have to wait on it passively. He says, you learn this actively. You learn it. He goes, I've learned this. It's part of what Andrew talked about last week, learning to love God with all of your mind. It's the reason when we started this series through the book of Philippians, and we challenge you every single week, memorize this book, read this book, think about this book, sit under it, talk about it, write it down. Like, let the book of Philippians get all the way down into your mind, down into the fabric of your being, down into your heart. Grasp the truth. The word that Paul uses here in verse 11 where he says, I've learned this. If we were gonna kind of extrapolate on it in the English, he'd probably say it like this. Hey, this is something that I have studied rigorously over and over and over, and I am still studying this rigorously. It's the imagery that maybe you have with young kids that you're teaching how to read, and you're showing them note cards of A with an apple. What sound does this make? You know, or, or when you're teaching multiplication uh, you know, tables. It's, there's no easy way to do it, right? You just gotta put in the work. You just gotta think about it. You gotta dwell on it. You gotta memorize it. And here, here's what Paul's saying to the Philippian church. He's saying, hey guys, listen. He goes, I cannot do the work for you. He goes, I can't put the promises of God in your mind. <laughs> I can't put the truth of scripture in your heart. Your mom can't do it for you. She'd love to, she can't do it. She called me, she'd love to do that for you. She can't do it. <laughs> Podcast can't do it for you. A book can't do it for you. Sermons can't do it for you. I can't do it. Showing up in church can't do it. At some point, you have to decide, will you sit under the word of God over and over and over like a forever student and let God's word just keep trickling down over and over and over, minute by minute, hour by hour, week by week, year by year. But Dave, sometimes it's boring. Of course it is. Do you know boring things can help you? <laughs> sometimes I don't feel like it. Well, you know, sometimes I don't feel like being a parent, but I've gotta be a parent. <laughs> Sometimes I don't feel like eating vegetables. They're still good for me, spoiler alert. You know, it's like, he says, hey, this is part of the way that you cultivate resilient joy. It's not booking another vacation. It's not trying to earn a few more hours out of the office. Those things are fine. Resilient joy begins in the bedrock of the gospel truth of God's character coming all the way down into your life and every fabric of who you are where you go, despite what I see around me and my circumstances, God, this is who you are. This is what you're doing. This week, I just sat down and on a piece of paper, I thought, okay, from memory, what are some of the gospel truths I've gleaned just out of Philippians? Not out of all the scripture, just out of Philippians. And in just a few minutes, just like 30 or 40 things just popped up. And I looked at them on that piece of paper and I thought, man, God, my heart will be prone to forget these if I don't come back to them. Paul says, hey, part of the way you develop resilient joy, no matter the circumstances that you're in, is you become a forever student. You keep pursuing gospel truth. 
I have a friend who, the moment we graduated college, he got a master's degree and then he went on to med school. And then after he completed med school, he did another master's degree in a totally different discipline. And every time I see him every few years, I'm like, dude, are you still in school? He's like, yeah. I'm like, how much do you love student debt, man? Because he is just, he's going after it. And we always love to tease him. We're like, why are you still in school? And he's like, because as long as I'm alive, I am going to be a student. He's like, I just want to keep learning. And here Paul is in prison. And he's been talking about joy for the last 12 weeks. He's not explained how he's gotten it yet. And he loves us enough. He look, loves his church enough. He looks at me and says, he says, hey, here's what I want you to hold on to. If you want what I have, he goes, you're going to have to commit yourself to the radical pursuit of gospel truth all the days of your life. That's it. Day by day, year by year. So he goes, it's gospel truth. It's part of the way that we develop resiliency. He goes, but it's not just gospel truth. Secondly, he goes, you're gonna have to allow that truth to, to filter all the way down into your heart, into your life, so you begin to have gospel experiences. So it's not just gospel truth. It's not just knowing the good news of what Jesus has done. It's going, how do I begin to experience that reality? How do I begin to walk that out? Look back at verse 12 with me. He says, I haven't just learned what it means to be content, verse 12. He goes, but I know if you write in your Bibles, you could even underline that phrase, I know. He goes, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. This, this idea of knowing, it, it, it moves beyond just what he was talking about in verse 11, where he says, I've learned something. This, this idea of knowing, it goes deeper and it's this word of deep intimacy, of deep practical experience. Paul is saying, my knowledge of God's character over time, when I'm rich and poor, where I'm hungry or, or well-fed, he goes, my knowledge of God's character has proven itself to be true in the classroom of life. In other words, gospel truth is becoming gospel experience over time. Does that make sense? He goes, it's no longer just head knowledge. God is doing something in my life where the truth that I've put to memory has the opportunity to exercise itself in the classroom of my experience. Now, you all know this to be true, that truth, unless it is applied, is pretty worthless. And Paul goes, God has been gracious enough to give me lots of moments in his classroom for knowledge in my mind to become a known experience. That, that phrase, I know, it's the same idea that's used in the book of Genesis to say that Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to a son. Did Adam just have head knowledge about his wife? No, there was an intimate encounter with his wife that led to the reality of something new. And this is the same, it's kind of, a, you know, my boys are in the room, they're like, dad, that's weird. <laughs> but what he's saying is he's going, hey, there is an intimate encounter with the truth of God. Listen, guys, there is an intimate encounter with the truth of God that cannot happen in a Sunday morning service. It only happens in the classroom of life. 
It only happens in good times and in bad times. It only happens when you get the phone call you don't wanna get. It only happens when your parents didn't get back together the way that you had hoped. It only happens in the classroom of your experience. And Paul is going, I took the time to put something in my mind. And he goes, but then God has given me lots of opportunities. Some of them I liked, some of them I didn't. But in all of that, I've come into an intimate, a knowing knowledge or experience of the character of God. And as I've gotten to know him, resilient joy is growing out of the garden of that knowledge. Paul goes, I rigorously pursued the truth, but then God gave me the opportunity to experience it. I've seen this so many different ways. I'll just give you one example. You know, throughout this series, Sydney and I have tried to take time with our boys to just memorize certain passages in Philippians with them. And one of those verses is Philippians 4, verse 19. And this week, even as we're coming back from vacation, they're just practicing it in the car. And this is what it says. My God will graciously supply all of your needs through his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It's truth. We're trying to cram truth in their head. Like, cram truth in their little head. Like, turn off your screen. Cram truth in the head. Like, how do we get truth in the head, right? Like, so we're trying to put truth. But here's what we know is that truth is like a seed falling in the soil of their heart, and it will be the classroom of life that will give them the opportunity to experience the truth of that. Sydney and I have had to learn that truth in times when we had abundance. Because you know what it's like when you have abundance? You're tempted to think that what? God didn't meet my needs. I met my needs. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of us wrestle with that? It's like, I worked hard, I hustled, you know? It's like, I met my needs. You have to learn this in seasons of plenty. You have to learn this in seasons where it is not going great. God, you meet all my needs. Not all my wants. I've got a lot of things that I want. But you meet all of my needs. That's the promise of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, and as he leads me, None of my actual needs will be left unattended to. And what we're trying to do with our boys is just cram this truth into their minds that God's paying attention. He hasn't fallen asleep on the job. He's, he's rich in mercy and grace. He's got things he wants to pour out on you. That's truth we can put in their minds, but only in the classroom of life will they get to experience it and will that experience produce joy. Paul's going, I'm cultivating joy when my circumstances aren't going the way that I want them, because part of it's about gospel truth. Part of it is about gospel experience. And a third bucket is part of it is about embracing the reality that all of us are invited into gospel dependency. Gospel dependency. I'm just gonna tell you, if, if you would take just a few minutes this week and sit with what it is that we're talking about right now, I'm telling you, it will mess you up. <laughs> because everything that Paul is saying is against our nature, not just as humans, but as Americans. This is fundamentally against your nature. Every 4th of July, what do we celebrate? Okay, a few, I, I love that, like, that's how uneducated we are. We're like, I think it's Independence Day, I don't know. <laughs> Barbecue, fireworks, like, what do we celebrate? I'll say it again. What do we celebrate on the 4th of July? Independence. Independence, right? So literally in the fabric of your being, not just as a human, but as an American, is this belief that you are wired for independence. 
Guys, that is not a gospel idea. It's not a gospel idea. The gospel idea is that you've been hardwired for dependency on Jesus and interdependency with the community of faith. And Paul's gonna say, this resilient joy that I have is not just from knowledge, and it's not just from my personal experiences. I go through the school of life on my own. He goes, no, it has happened as I have surrendered myself to the reality that I have been created by God to depend on him and to walk in fellowship with other believers. Look at verse 13 and 14. He goes, where has this joy, this resiliency come from? He goes, I can do all of this through Christ who gives me strength. And yet it is good for you to share my troubles also. Verse 14. He goes, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's a verse that we love to take out of context. It's like, I'm gonna get the promotion. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And the Lord's like, yeah, you did terrible in school. You're not getting that promotion. Like, you need humility. <laughs> or, or I can jump my dirt bike over the pool. You know, it's like. Oh. Paul, goes, Paul goes, how am I resiliently joyful in all of these circumstances? He goes, because I'm dependent. I'm dependent on the indwelling personal presence of Jesus. He goes, I haven't gotten this because of my discipline and my hard work and because I'm crushing it. He goes, I've got it because of my dependency on Jesus. And then he goes in verse 14 and he goes, and my fellowship with you. He goes, it was good for you to share in this with me. Now this would have stepped all over their toes in Philippi because they were living in a world much like ours that was convinced that independence was the hallmark of maturity. <laughs> During their days, the Stoics were the most looked after philosophers. And the idea of the Stoic was that no man needed any other man, no woman needed any other woman, that you were a self-made person. In fact, I love the way that Paul uses the word contentment because it was a word from their culture. He uses it to help them understand this idea of heavenly joy. And the word contentment, if we were to look at it in the original language, it was two Greek words stuck together, which literally meant to rule yourself. And so here's what the people of Paul's day in the city of Philippi believed. They believed that you could only experience resilient joy if you had the ability to rule yourself. If you made enough money to not need anybody else. If you had enough people helping to not need anything else. If you could cut yourself off from needing too much emotionally from anybody or anyone, then you could be resiliently joyful. And you can almost hear Paul just kind of asking them going, hey guys, how's that working out for you? <laughs> Is that working? And so he takes this idea of self-rule and he turns it on its head, just like a jiu-jitsu master. He's like, let me take your word and turn it against you. You know, he's like, takes this idea of contentment and he goes, you want contentment? It's the truth of the gospel. It's the experience of the gospel, but it is you personally surrendering to this reality that apart from Jesus and apart from the community of faith, you will never have the resilient joy that you've been chasing. And he goes, and until you raise the white flag and until you surrender that notion that you can do it all on your own, you will never actually get the thing that you're chasing. 
And he lays it out. He goes, all spring long, we've been talking joy, 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 joy. And Paul goes, oh yeah, here's how I've gotten it. Head full of gospel truth. Life coming awake to the truth of God's character in all of my experiences, whether good or bad. And in all of it, me humbling myself to the reality that guys, I need you. I don't say that in some weird way. Like, it's like, I just need you guys. We need each other. I need Jesus. And that's not a deficiency. That's a design. It's not a flaw in the app. It was created by God to bring us to Jesus and to each other. And he goes, as you walk it out, he goes, joy. He goes, joy will abound. And I love the way he ends this letter, just like a boss. <laughs> he's, just, he's just walking through it. He's talking this thing about joy. And jump down to verse 21 with me. He says, so greet all of God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send their greetings. All of God's people here send you greetings. Listen to this. Especially those who belong to Caesar's household. It's like Paul just dropping this little line of code into the letter. He goes, hey guys, hey, check this out. He goes, they think they have me in prison. He goes, I've got them right where I want them. He goes, the good news of Jesus is even getting into Caesar's household. And guys, you know what happened 300 years later? The entire Roman Empire came to experience the profound reality that Paul was writing from this prison. Because when a person walks in this resilient joy, the world wakes up and they just go, I don't know what you have and how you got it, but I wanna walk with you. And that's the book of Philippians. And we get to decide, is this just gonna be something that we just kinda read through for 12 weeks and took a little bit of encouragement and okay, we've got it. To live as Christ, to die as gain. <laughs> You know, the mystery of suffering. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or, or will we do the work now? The real work begins going, okay, God, would you stick it in our hearts? Would you work it out in our lives? And would you produce what you produced? So that no matter the circumstances we go through, Christ would be glorified. The nations would see him as he'd be exalted. And so this morning, as we get ready to receive communion, as we break the bread, as we receive the cup, as you come up and receive prayer with the respond banner, as you circle up your chairs and talk with each other, I'm not sure what area of surrender you need to step into, but I wanna encourage you this morning, let's, let's not chase joy. Let's just keep surrendering to Jesus and trust that as we surrender to Jesus, joy will just grow out of the garden of our hearts. And so let's stand together. I wanna pray a blessing over us. We'll come up and receive communion together. Father, I love you. I just thank you for the magnificent reality of your word. The brilliance of the way that you speak to us and you help us and you lead us. And God, we just declare as a church family that, that this indeed is the word of God that it is a lamp to our feet, a light into our path. And God, we're asking that you would hide this word in our hearts so that we would not sin against you so that we could walk in the ways everlasting. 
And so Lord, this morning, as we begin to break the bread and receive the juice and confess our sins and pray to surrender our lives more fully to you, God, would you just illuminate the person of Jesus among us? And God, would you give us the grit to walk the practical but not always simple and easy path toward resilient joy? In the name of Jesus, I pray. And together we say, amen.